This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is a Wednesday. It means, look, you're halfway through the week already. So congratulations. Nice job. I mean, you know, give or take an hour, depending on what you do. But close enough, we're going to count it. I'm Chandro Tar, Sandy Clough on my left. Danny Bailey in the booth. 303-831-1340 is the number. We'll start with the Colorado Avalanche, the Avs, with maybe, Sandy, their biggest win of the year, a home win, 3-1 against the Vancouver Canucks. The Canucks coming in as the best team in the NHL, although it was their second night of a back-to-back after getting thumped in Minnesota, although their backup goaltender was in. In this case, the Avs were rested. Vancouver comes in a little tired, but... They had their primary goaltender, Thatcher Denko, in. The Avs take that win 3-1. to one. The first two goals from Ryan Johansson, and let's be honest, a little bit of luck involved in both, but this kind of had the feel of that kind of heavyweight Western Conference playoff type of game. Not a lot of shots, uh, a tight game, some physicality there, and... I think for the Avs, if not the best win of the season, certainly in the top two or three. Well, uh, we've been waiting uh, quite a few weeks to see a two to one game, and I know it was you three to one. You basically did. Saw a two to one game. Arturi Lekkinen with, with an the empty NBA. netter, right, with the final thirty seconds. And we got it last night, and it was two good teams. Uh, Vancouver had played a ten seven game that it lost the day before on President's Day. So it figured to be a different kind of game for Vancouver last night. But uh, the Avs have not been playing many two-to-one games, certainly not against good teams. And to see against maybe the premier offensive team in the league, the Avs hold them to one J.T. Miller goal. And that came in the first period, gave Vancouver a one nothing lead at the end of one. The Avs were not great in the first period, but they weren't badly outplayed. The, the shots on goal were seven apiece. Territorially, it wasn't that one-sided. Probably Vancouver had a better period. Uh, but the Avs came on and seemed to be the stronger team as the game wore on. And, yes, they got some good bounces, but uh, bounces have not necessarily been going the Avs' way lately. Uh, the Avs remain at home the best team in the National Hockey League. It's the road that's provided some difficulty. And, the Canucks will get another shot at the Avs on March 13th in Vancouver. But for last night, the Avs were the better team on a night when Vancouver played pretty well, uh, as acknowledged by Rick Tockett, uh, 
a former Avalanche assistant who is now a coach of the year candidate and maybe the number one coach of the year candidate I in the National so. Hockey League yeah. with the Vancouver Canucks uh, commentator last year uh, for TNT, got the uh, Vancouver job late last year and has done a fantastic job this year. Even on a three-game losing streak, the Canucks have more points than any team at the present time in all of the National Hockey League. So that was a, that, that's a great a, yeah, win and a terrific streak. defensive performance. It. Yeah, so I mean, obviously... Vancouver is legit, as Sandy pointed out, the best home team in the league for the, are the Avalanche. Only one other team, the New York Rangers, who lead the Metropolitan, even have 20 home wins. The Avs right. have 22, 22 and 5 on the whole, but you're right, on the road, uh, and even 500, really, maybe, depending on the way you want to think about yeah, it. Below, uh, 13, That's 13, and 4. Yeah. But but they got the game, I think, that they that they needed. They needed to win a tight game over an opponent that either was maybe better than them or playing better than them. And obviously, tough to say Vancouver was playing better than them after coming yeah. off of a 10-7 loss. Yeah. But I think a but, team that I you mean, could... You look at the body of work throughout the season. Nobody else in the league better. has 80 points. Right. So I, I think when you look at that performance, you did get an assist from Nathan McKinnon, by the way. McKinnon then has scored in all uh, 27 home games this season. So that is the second Longest streak to start a season behind only Wayne Gretzky, although if I remember correctly, Gretzky's is at 40, so a ways to go. But when you're talking about the longest home game streak for points in history that can stretch between seasons, now it's seventh. Uh, he tied Guy Lafleur from uh, back in the 79-80 season who had 27 straight, points, uh, straight home games with points. McKinnon gets the assist in this one, and uh, he was aggressive. Ten shots on the night. By McKinnon, and I I like seeing that against those top opponents where McKinnon just keeps firing because there have been times, and it's hard to nitpick Nathan McKinnon's game, but there have been times in the past in his career where, as skilled as he is, can also look to facilitate at times. And and when you have guys like Gabe Landeskog historically or Miko Rantanen on your line, I get it, but Nathan McKinnon is the Avalanche's most dangerous offensive player, and so I like seeing Nathan McKinnon go out there and really put a lot of pucks on the net. I, I like seeing, the, I like the way he played. I like the aggressiveness in which he played. Oh, I, I, I thought he was terrific. Now, he was, a little he was frustrated, faceoffs, perhaps for the most part. Yeah, yeah. a little frustrated, but I, it, listen, I thought it was a good all-around effort, very solid, uh, nothing particularly spectacular. Uh, in anything the Avs did last night. But it, it, let's go down the uh, the team stats. 27-25 Avs shots on goal. 25-15 to 15 hits favor the Avs. Uh, took four penalty minutes to six for Vancouver, so it was a clean game. Uh, they got bludgeoned in the faceoff circle, but if that's the only area you're getting beaten, that's that's a pretty distant consideration. Uh, you, know, you, you, you make that up. In other ways, uh, 0 for 3 on the power play, uh, not thrilling, but killed off both penalties that they took. Uh, 18 to 14 in favor of the Avs on block right. shots. Uh, seven takeaways against six giveaways for the Avs. Five and four for Vancouver. Uh, pretty even there. And uh, I I thought it was a disciplined game uh, for both teams. I thought it was pretty close to playoff level intensity. Yeah, uh, both teams, as Bednar said afterwards, were dialed in 
and the Avs got the better of it. Now, there have been uh, one or two games recently since the All-Star break where I think they've been more or less dialed in and maybe didn't get the bounces, but not many. Last night, they they were dialed in. They got the benefit uh, of uh, some bounces, and I thought they were a lot better than they were against Arizona on Sunday. So I, I, I do see improvement. And let's face it, uh, Nathan McKinnon has points in 47 of the 57 games he's played, both at home and on the road this year. And the home point streak at 27 now with 22 goals, 34 assists, and 56 points is just remarkable. He's averaging more than two points a game this year at home. It's just amazing. And uh, I thought on uh, Johansson's part, uh, it was Bednar before the game who was saying that he – saw a, a little more in Johansson's game mm-hmm. over the last few and afterwards said that his competitive spirit seems to be in a different place than it was, uh, <laughs> which uh, I think is uh, somewhat of an indictment right. of uh at least leading up to the All-Star game and probably for a handful of games after the All-Star game, uh, not much that you could identify in Johansson's game that was uh, uh, competitively spiriting. Uh, But I I did see some of that last night. He got some good bounces, took advantage of him. Yeah, I mean, he was in the right place when the puck came off the boards. And, And on the other one, he shot one in off somebody's rump. That's okay. They count, too. Yeah, I mean, this, and that's the funny thing. One went off appears to have gone off Ian Cole for a while, a former Av- Avalanche as well. Yep. But, I mean, that's the point, right? You throw it towards the net. Sometimes you get a lucky bounce. That's the point of it. Jurantson, after the game, it kind of is a corollary with Bednar's point that the competitive spirit uh, appeared to be maybe a little better than it had in the past. Jurantson was asked, and he said, it reminds you, I guess, that you've got to stick with it. Well, that, again, kind of dovetails together, right? Maybe he's been a little bit down little bit disheartened. He, and, he was as low as you can get and still be in the lineup. He was centering the fourth line there for a game or two. And now, of course, he's back on the third line between Parise and uh, Kibirato, who I thought were both excellent last night. Parise had an assist, was plus two, and Kibirato was plus two, though he didn't show up on the score sheet. And uh, I thought it was a nice game for the second line. Uh, again, nothing spectacular. Lekkonen had the empty net goal. And uh, the fourth line uh, did no harm, uh, although uh, none of them, Cogliano, Wagner, Olofsson, played more than eight minutes, 48 seconds. Um, defensively, solid all the way around. No bad games. Really, Another assist for uh, Jack Johnson. And Byron was a plus one. Uh, Manson and Gerard, very steady. Uh, Taves had an assist. Uh, McCarr played well, I thought, though uh, he wasn't on the score sheet either. 25 minutes, 42 seconds. Uh, Georgiev was, uh, I-, I thought, the best I, I thought player he was the on best. the ice. I, I do, too. He I, was I, second I star of the game uh, behind Joe Hansen. He was, star, he he was the first. best player on he, the he ice. He should have been the first. 25. The quality yeah. of the saves. Not, not especially late. quantity, but the quality late the third, on the, the saves. Third period I mean, they saves. had a power play, mm-hmm. uh, and they have a good power play, and he turned them aside um, with some help. But 
that's listen the avalanche shouldn't be giving anybody if they're healthy especially on defense as they are right now relatively speaking they're healthy they shouldn't be giving up more than 25 26 shots a game and they've been giving up 35 yeah. 40 40 plus and I the think that's asking that too much, especially of a goaltender that's been overworked in Georgiev. But in this case, you know, the 24 for 25, uh, the save percentage, you can do that math pretty easy. 960, that's outstanding, especially given the competition. Yeah. But it wasn't, the, it wasn't quantity, it was quality. Yeah. Uh, he, he wasn't under siege, but he had to make big saves. And, 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 most, and, and he made them. Those saves in a one-goal game, for the most part, up until the last 30 seconds of the game. Right. So these were not only dangerous saves, but they were saves with literally... Game uh, the in the game, balance. The game in the balance. So a terrific performance by Georgiev. After the game, Altitude's Katie Goss had an opportunity to ask him a little bit about that game and his performance. Georgie, coming into this game, you know, obviously a big battle for the whole team, but, you know, going up against Demko, you two leading the league in wins. Just for yourself, what was the preparation like heading into this match? Yeah, uh, just kind of uh, knowing that they're a really good team and that uh, we're, we're trying to kind of build back our, our good habits and uh, just uh, get get ready for a big game. Uh, just play my game like usual, and I think uh, I think the guys played great defense today and great offensively. Played smart. Jack was just saying it, but as the season goes on, you will have to learn how to win games by two to one, three to one scores, really defensive battles. What did you like about the way your team did that tonight? Yeah, I, I like the score. <laughs> uh, it, it's great. I, I think uh, I think those are. Uh, we, we need to know that we can win games uh, different ways and. Today was a great example. We didn't didn't try anything crazy. Just played smart hockey, uh, buckled down defensively, and um, big blocks, smart hockey. I think yeah, what we saw hit it on the head. And, and and I think what we saw in this game, when you're talking about Georgiev in particular, is at this stage in his career, is Georgiev the guy that's going to regularly go out and steal you hockey games, a la Vasilevsky a couple of years back. No, uh, I don't. I'm glad you said a couple years a couple back. Because Vasilevsky's save percentage is yeah. under 900. He's also been too. worn down to a nub over the last few years of how often he's played for Tampa. But when you you look at the way Georgiev played, he can steal a game here or there. But I see a guy that when you limit the shots, like they did last night, even against an outstanding team in Vancouver, he can hold up for you and give you a chance to win that game. And we saw the Aswin a cup that way with Darcy Kemper primarily in net. And Kemper, I don't think, was as good a goaltender as Georgiev. But Georgiev is also not Patrick Waugh. You can't ask him to go out and get 50-plus saves in a playoff game. He's just not going to be that guy. But if you limit that to below 30 shots... I think Yorgiev will give you a puncher's chance in every single game against any opponent. And I think that's what the Avs have to take away from this when they're talking about how they defend in front of their goaltender. That was a top five team that we saw last night. Unquestionably. They weren't even a top half of the league team on that road trip. No. They weren't. No. They weren't. Uh, With a possible exception of the one game they won, and even that game was 4-3 with two empty net goals by the Avs to make it 6-3, and then they had a a complete reversal of that uh, in the following game. Uh, They're fourth in the West in point percentage now. They're seventh in the NHL, up from ninth. That's what one win can do in this league when you catch other teams uh, getting beaten. Uh, The division picture 
uh, looks a tad better, uh, although the Avalanche and point percentage remain behind both first-place Dallas and third-place Winnipeg. Uh, it's tightening up, and uh, Dallas lost last night, so it's 6-2-2 uh, yeah, Dallas two has now lost stars. three straight. Right. And, and the Avs have been able to kind of reel not, them Not in. all in regulation, but yes, like, like Vancouver has lost three straight. Not all in regulation. Yeah. But Dallas 6-2-2 two two in the last 10, as 5-4-1. Winnipeg actually 4-5-1 in its last 10 games and maybe showing a little sign, uh, it, you know, now that they're starting to play more regularly, they've had a very light schedule. I'm not saying easy schedule. I'm saying light schedule uh, up until now. Uh, they've still only played 54 games. They aren't actually over the two-thirds mark yet. They have 28 left. But They've started to play more often recently, right? Because they, they they had there was a point they had four or five games in hand on on the Avs, mm-hmm. if not on the Avs. Yeah, Dallas. just a weird schedule in yes. that regard. But now they're starting to play more regularly, and there's some fraying around. And some the things edges, get exposed, which shouldn't be surprised. It's a team that is just barely averaging over three goals a game, three point zero six. That puts them uh, in between Calgary and Nashville, teams that yep. we're not talking about as. As Stanley Cup contenders. Now, granted, their defense has been extraordinary. Their goaltender has been extraordinary. And that's one of the reasons that Winnipeg's been it, it, so good. You but, know what's funny, though? But you're right. As the in the West, load, there's no hot team right now. No. Not, there's not no one. hot team in the West right now. That is kind of interesting. Even Edmonton's won 7 out of 10. That's that's more than anybody else has won in the Western Conference over the last 10 games. Now, in the East, it's a little different. Rangers are 8-1-1. One one. Carolina's 8-2. and two. Yeah, Florida's 1-6 uh, straight. Florida's 9-1 and one in its last 10. And Toronto's won eight out of ten. Boston is not playing very well, four, four, and two in its last ten games. So, uh, you, you you only have three teams, maybe in the entire league, that are playing substantially better than the Avs have been over the last ten games. And most of those games have been played since the All Star break. And we know the Avs haven't been very good, uh, for the most part. Uh, but last night uh, was a nice turn. Now let's see if they can stack up uh, another game like that in Detroit. Because when they come home, it's Toronto and Dallas. Uh, Toronto's a surefire playoff team uh, that is probably out of contention for first place in the Atlantic Division, but Dallas is in first place. Uh, Then you have two road games at Chicago, at Nashville, home to Chicago and Detroit in the wild, at Calgary, at Vancouver. So there's an opportunity here if you can kind of maintain these habits that they – seem to be starting to develop last night. It would be nice to see if, you know, when Valerian Nachushkin gets back, that will obviously help as they have to settle that as well. The trade deadline is on March 8th, tomorrow. Uh, that's the tricky part for the Avs. Not only are they going, uh, you know, going rather compressed schedule, but they end up going to Detroit. So they hit the road. They will be facing off there against the Red Wings. Uh, tomorrow night, of course, uh, Ryan Bolding of NHL.com, and I will host a watch party down at number 38 in Rhino, and we'll... Uh, Tell you a little bit more about that as the show goes along. Hopefully, you'll come on down. Uh, you can win an Nathan McKinnon jersey along with a whole bunch of other things. There's going to be drink specials, live DJ. It's going to be a party. So, you know, get back to a little bit of those old Avs, Red Wings matchups. Have a little fun there. Uh, Ryan Bolding will actually join us at the top of the hour to talk more about uh, the Avs and the NHL at large as we'll take a little peek about what we may talk about uh, tomorrow night. But yesterday, this sort of came up organically. The idea of during the All-Star break talking about, you know, how how uh, you know, your best all-time players were. And the way Sandy handled it is interesting. Sandy puts it together in teams. In other words, you can't just say, 
I'm just going to put three centers and say that's on my team because it doesn't work that way. You had to make it as teams. It's not the athletics top 75 list, right. in other words, because uh, undoubtedly in the top 10, you have at least four centers. We're doing it like all NBA. We're, we're doing it except all by time. teams together that we think would work well in combination. Looking forward to doing that, and we'll find out uh, how much of modern and, and, and uh, some of the classic players that we think about will we'll be on that list. Want your opinions as well. The caller text line is 303-831-1340. We'll start letting you know how these all shook out after we did our homework next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The traffic is stuck. And you're not it is the well. NBA All-Star break. We were kind of just having this discussion yesterday. The idea that we had heard from Larry Bird talking about Nikola Jokic and pointing out that he wanted to play first saying you want to play against him as opposed to saying with him in a super team era. And that kind of made us think, you know, if you were thinking that was where, as much of a compliment as saying, I, I was, wish I could play. With yeah, him. it was, I think, a, yeah, absolutely. As, as in in bird's world saying, I'd love to play against him is at least as much of a compliment as saying, I would love to play with him. I, I believe so for sure. And I think, it, and it's sort of, again, we meant the idea that it's, it's easier i think when people look at it and say okay well we're going to pick the best players of x and you can you can pick a handful of these players but it's a little trickier to say let's pick them as teams let's pick a starting five but you have to have a position you're not going to just do a you you have to have five guys who could conceivably, who could conceivably play, together. play together and i think that's intriguing and we tried to go three deep on on each and try to figure out where we were going to put these teams uh and, and players together on it. And and I think we had very, to an extent, we left it open. I think that the way we, we approached it, I looked at it and thought just more of the, I didn't throw out the stats. The stats are important. But I also looked at it, I think maybe growing up in an era of the NBA in which I grew up, I valued, I valued championships, but I value them less because I think for a large swath of from the 80s until, quite frankly, rather recently, when you had Phoenix in the final and didn't win, and the Giannis wins his, and, and the Nuggets win theirs, you didn't have a lot of parity. It was a top-heavy league. As a matter of fact, for a lot of the 80s and 90s, the NBA had the lowest number of different teams yes. winning the championship. Yes. And so I think by that nature, I maybe devalued championships and thought more of, uh, ability and the way they oh, changed the game. I think I did too, and I, we were talking during the break. I didn't reveal the name of this person, right. but uh, I said I've got uh, on my third team someone who never won a championship. Um, now th- there's a before and after story with this particular player, but I, I I was saying if you took the before version of this player 
I'd put him on my all-time first team, even though he was never part of a championship team. Okay. So I, I, I feel the same way you do, that it shouldn't just be about championships, but uh, as it happens, um, all 15 of my guys, with one sort of exception, played on at least one championship. Well, I have a feeling that as we go down the list, it'll be more intriguing. So why don't we start from the top and go with our, our top team? Okay, first team. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? Okay, I'll go first. Because I know what I think. I I'll, wanna, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Hear okay. what you think. Now, th- these may not be uh, huge shocks for people. So it's starting at guards on my top team, if I were to make it, you know, top three teams of, uh, I've seen in history, uh, that's very straightforward. I look at Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. I think those are the top two. We saw them play in the Olympics right. once upon a time. Yes, we did. Uh, and, and we saw them play with one of the forwards that's on this team with me, too, and that would be Larry Bird. Exactly. So, to now, me... Now, it was a diminished Bird because correct. of injuries, uh, back injury primarily. Bird didn't play as much on the Dream Team uh, as some others, but Yes, those All to three me feel played like played together. Absolutely, no played brainers. together, and they're to me they're no brainers. Right, I have at center. I think will be different than yours. I have at center Wilt Chamberlain. Not much I, different. I think Chamberlain's uh, not much different numbers. The dominance of the game was remarkable, and and then the I think over the years the idea of kind of knocking Chamberlain down, saying he was the only tall guy in the league. No, that's not true. Was he, was he very, well, that, very that tall? Well, that gets back to J.J. Redick. Uh, they were all plumbers back then. Right, the which is ridiculous. Um, go look at the rest of those players in that time. So Chamberlain is my my top center. At a certain point, I, it's sort of an unofficial rule for me, but generally if a sport has to change its rules to accommodate you, you're pretty special. And the modern-day goaltending rules were created essentially to to – Find a way to try to stymie Chamberlain. I thought Chamberlain. you were going to go with another guy. No. And it, and, it um, wouldn't have been my guy either, but uh, I'm glad you went with Wilt. So I went with Wilt. The uh, final guy in that top five among the forwards, the modern players, I would have to say that's LeBron James. And I think of the idea of putting those five guys with the passing uh-huh. ability we, of we, James Bird and yeah. Magic with the scoring of Jordan and Chamberlain. With the, I mean, just forget it. I. You, you, there's. I am confident you can't find five people on the planet that you would say would beat that team with regularity. My only difference with you, and we did not consult. No, on not this all. at all. Uh, we're in agreement on four of the five. Okay. And my only difference, and it, it, this is just personal taste more than anything else. And I know listen, who it is. Jordan's a great defender. Yeah. Magic and Bird as straight-up defenders, were not great. Now, they were good defensive players because their instincts were good and they could be disruptive at key moments on the defensive end of the floor, and both were terrific. Both brilliant scorers, rebounders, and passers. Absolutely. Of course. Of course. I'm just saying, it's just a matter of personal preference, and Wilt was a supreme shot blocker. He was a smart defensive player. Remember, Wilt Chamberlain never fouled out of a game. Right. Now, part that? of it is, I, I think as his career went on, who really wanted to be the official to a, uh, disqualify him on fouls when he had played years 
and years without never even coming out. close right. to fouling out. Who was going to give Wilt that sixth personal foul? Um, Wilt was clever in that way, and he understood that. And he also was so magnificently gifted that, you know, getting back to a Rick Pitino the other day, at least before he hurt his knee late in his career, Wilt could move. I mean, Wilt, Wilt didn't have to foul. Wilt, Wilt didn't even have to block shots. And it, it was the same with my guy in this way. But I just thought, you know, competitively, I just want all these guys together. And I, I'm not saying they couldn't be beaten on a given day by either my second team or my third team. But in a game seven, for the fate of the world, right? right I got to have Bill Russell, the greatest team player in the history of major professional sports. I have to have him on my team with Bird, LeBron, Jordan, and Magic. And because only two people could coach Bill Russell, and one was Bill Russell himself, my coach would have to be Red Auerbach. Not that I believe our back is necessarily the greatest coach of all time. Although, not only was our back a coach, back then he was a team builder. So those championship teams were built and coached by Red Auerbach. Phil Jackson's championship teams were coached by Phil Jackson, but not built by Phil Jackson. Right. Either with the Lakers or with the Chicago Bulls. So uh, I think, that's a team that could all but coach itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bird was a coach. Magic, however briefly, was a coach, not a very good one. Uh, I don't know that Jordan would have been a much better coach than he was an executive, and he wasn't a very good executive. Uh, Russell, actually, even as a player coach, I didn't think was very good, but he was a coach. So <laughs> I, I, I like that in my team, too. I like the fact that you could envision LeBron being a coach if he wanted I, to be. I could. And if I think, he wanted to be, I have no idea. I think if, if they still had player coaches in the league, LeBron James right. would have probably already been one. Yeah. Oh, I think so. <laughs> I think, I, I think he could very easily uh, do that. And um, uh, listen, I say Bill Russell wasn't very good as a player's coach. He won two championships as a player coach. Right. And the other one, he lost in the conference finals to Wilt and Alex Hannum. Uh, and a bunch of Hall of Famers like Hal Greer and Billy Cunningham were just tremendous players. Anyway, that's my first. I, and I, if you want a kind of a, a an idea for the coaches there, because you did throw that in there, to to my mind, that would be for for my team, which isn't very different. I look at that one, and and I would think that's a team that would be well coached by Pat Riley who has the ability, I think, over the course of his career to not only manage the egos, well, but to keep these supreme talents focused and, on the and, objective. And Pat Riley would have the respect of all those players. Right. And I think Including that... Including Russell. Uh, that would be you the know, fit Russell was, was quirky, but we're to, at least my judgment, I'm, I'm talking about one game for the fate of the world, that would be my team, and I would be perfectly comfortable with Riley uh, coaching that team as well. So... Not much different there. Just one player different. We actually had everything but the center there. So I'll I'll zip along to my second team. Now All I right. think is where we're going to start getting some, maybe some vast, vast differences. So at guard, I look at Kobe Bryant, and I look at Dr. J. Julius Irving. 
I think that Irving's career, you'd, you'd look at it, the pure stats, I don't think fairly represent what he did to in, in create that's the modern game. A, it, that's a dilemma for me, too, which I'll get into more in a moment. But um, my line of demarcation there is ABA Julius and mm-hmm. ABA Julius. Uh, ABA Julius, again, might be a guy who would make my first all-time team because he won multiple championships in the ABA. Uh, he did win in the NBA, but not until Moses Malone came along. Um, but, yes, uh, you know, if, if especially, I, I would not disagree with you. I mean, I mean, might even go further if we're talking about ABA Julius, which was the best version of Julius. Julius in his prime. Julius completely unleashed, playing with freedom, not like with the 76ers where he had to defer to the likes of George McGinnis and World Be Free right. more often than he should have. On the forwards, and this this is where this part gets gets interesting with my sort of team too, because I, I, I threw it down there sort of with a mildly different approach. My pair of forwards were far more modern players. I went with Tim Duncan and Dirk Nowitzki, in part because of the idea of how each of the Duncan with his metronome level of consistency over and over and over again, no matter what kind of game he was playing, you knew what you'd get out of Duncan. And he was one of those guys that... A little bit like you see with Nikola Jokic. Did you need him to score 40? Okay, he'll get you 40. Did, did you only need him to get about 18 points, but you needed him to get 18 boards? Okay, he'll find a way to get that too. That kind of guy, steady and stable. Nowitzki, obviously, just uh, especially in his prime, a matchup nightmare. 6'11 with the ability to shoot from anywhere, create his own shot. Uh, could be when he wanted to be a pretty fierce rebounder and had a great head for the game. So that would be my forwards. And my team, too, maybe this will be a point of contention because that is not Bill Russell for me either. That is, I think, maybe the player who, besides Chamberlain, to my mind, had the most complete package as a center in history, and that would be Hakeem Olajuwon, who I thought could basically do anything he wanted to do on a basketball court. And it took him a while to get going as a defensive player to learn about that, but it incredibly gifted player with an array of offensive skills. Not only the dream shake, but back to the basket skills. Uh, you know about the, the shot blocking skills that were obviously naturally there. I've, I've always thought that Elijah one was maybe a little bit underrated. And I, I think I can make an argument that he might be the second best pure center to ever play the game. And so that would be my second team. I'd go with uh, Elijah one, Duncan, Nowitzki, Irving, Kobe Bryant, but to coach that team, to coach that team with that blend of egos, an egoless Tim Duncan, the ego of Kobe Bryant, the, the flash and dash of Dr. J and Dirk Nowitzki. And then adding in Hakeem to that mix, who at times, probably fair, did maybe need to be a little motivated, especially in his career. That to me seems like the Phil Jackson special <laughs> where the, the X's and O's don't matter so much, but figuring out a way to blend that personality probably does. We will keep going with this. We'll get Sandy's, number two team and we'll get to our number three teams as well in a moment but we want your opinions on these two the caller text line is 303-831-1340 we'll get back to with sandy's number two team next on miley sports make a move extreme shortcut to your dream go straight to the stars on the flying thing 
This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We're going through the teams that we believe in, the teams we created. It's, you know, it's too easy to just say, oh, this is our top five players of whatever. No, we're going to try to make teams out of it, teams that would make sense and the coaches that would make the most sense for them. As we get near the tail end of the All-Star break, the Nuggets will get back at it tomorrow as the Wizards come to town in Denver. We went with my second team, which was Hakeem Olajuwon in the middle, Tim Duncan and Dirk Nowitzki in the front court, uh, Dr. J and Kobe in the back court. I thought those egos all together probably needed a little Phil Jackson touch there. You, you cheated a little because <laughs> you put three forwards on there, or maybe two setters if you called Duncan. Uh, yeah, well, Duncan did not want to be called a setter, so no, I, pl- I played a little bit with that. No, and, no and that's we, all right, but you, yeah. you got you got three forwards on there. A and, bit. and I'm going to cheat a little bit, too, just as uh, okay. a bit of a preview. In fact, you could argue that I've got four smalls and one Real big. I've okay. got your guy in the middle, Wilt Chamberlain. Sure. On the second all-time team. Now, I'm going to go with a bit of a mix, old school and modern day. Uh, and I'm going to have three guards and someone who is clearly a sling player, was, was identified not – as strictly a guard, not strictly as a forward, but as a pure swing player. And also, I believe the best six man when he was a six man early in his career in the history of the NBA. And I think the best sixth man has to be one of uh, these. Uh, yeah, I think you could team members argument. on a first, sure. second, third all time team. I, I just yeah. I believe that. But we'll I start with Wilt, Wilt okay. Middle. And uh, I think. Uh, given Wilt's history with head coaches, <laughs> um, I I think the only co- – well, actually, I think there were a couple. I don't think Riley and Wilt would have mixed well. I, I just don't. Um, it, it, there's too much intensity from Riley. And uh, although Riley compromised with his center mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, which we will, I'm sure, get to in a moment one way or the other, um, but I, I think for this team, Phil Jackson has to be, has to be the coach <laughs> okay. of the Wilt. Because I, I think Phil Jackson would be able to – Phil Jackson played against Wilt. And right. I, I think understood Wilt and, 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 and could have been one of those coaches, one of the few who got along with Wilt. Even when – I'm thinking of Alex Hannum as a coach who either got along with Wilt the best – or maybe more importantly, got the most out of Wilt. And there was a point at which Alex Hannum challenged Wilt Chamberlain to a fist fight. That wouldn't have gone So, right. I, I, it, 
You know, <laughs> and that was a coach. Will and Alex liked Will, and Alex Hannum, former Denver Rockets coach, uh, here in the ABA days. Going to have to uh, and, just and briefly Alex Google. Alex uh, I think most the height and weight there, history. maybe. Uh, I mean, you well, know, yes, no Alex shrinking, Hannum no was shrinking big. Violet at six seven. No, no, six no. seven two Alex ten. Alex Hannum was a big man, but uh, probably no match for Will. Anyway, uh, Will's my center. My guard combination played together, just not in the NBA. Okay. In the 1960 Olympics, mm-hmm. and if you're talking about a dream team, that was the 1960s version of a dream team at the Olympics because that team had Jerry Lucas, uh, All-American center at Ohio State, national champion, and that team had Oscar Robertson and mm-hmm. Jerry West starting in the backcourt. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love Magic and Jordan, and they're on my first team. But Oscar and West would have been great over a period of years playing and it, together. And the point. You, got, you got to see them play together, together like we did see play together. On, my, on our first so teams where we had and Jordan, the, and Magic, and Bird together. that exists to this day between the two is extraordinary. Um, I think West was probably a slightly better defensive player than Oscar, uh, maybe even more than slightly better defensively than Oscar. Oscar, there's no comparable to the Oscar on the offensive end. Uh, Jerry West was a great all-around player, but Jerry West wasn't putting up triple-doubles and averaging triple-doubles the way Oscar was. So uh, Oscar on offense, uh, not not so much as a pure shooter. West was, the, he's the logo after all. Right. A great all-around offensive player. But Oscar had the playmaking dimension maybe a little more than West did. But Oscar and West would be my backcourt. Here's where I'm going to cheat a little. Because Kobe's on my second team, too. Okay. And Kobe could defend. Uh, Oscar, not great defensively. West, very good to great defensively. Will kind of speaks for itself. A lot of Lakers on this team. Uh, well. <laughs> Three out of four uh, so far. Yeah. I, I mean, Will I mean, played part, with other teams. Right, right. In but, part. Yeah. Um, my fifth is the most underrated player, in my opinion, in the history of the NBA, and will always be that, in in my view. Uh, his name is John Havlicek. Famous on the uh, Havlicek stole the ball right. uh, record that came out and also is seen on highlights, even to this day, uh, almost 60 years after it happened. Yeah. A famous basketball play. And John Havlicek was, in my opinion, a a contemporary of Wes and Oscar. A little younger, but basically a contemporary. If you split their careers, all three players, into two halves, I submit to you that over the first half of their respective careers, the order for me would have been almost interchangeable West and Oscar with Havlicek number three. Over the second half of their careers, there isn't even a comparison to be made. John Havlicek from 1968 through... 
1975, was the best basketball player in the universe. And that's a long time. Uh, yeah. He was the best player anywhere, any position, any size. And he could play either guard spot. He could play small forward. That's why he was a great six man. You could bring him in, and he was a great defensive player and a clutch offensive player. Jerry West earned, and deservedly so, the nickname Mr. Clutch. But if it hadn't been West, it could have been Havlicek. Havlicek was a better player than West was during the second half of Havlicek's career and the second half of West's career, which basically covered the same time period, and he was a much better player than Oscar was in the latter half of Oscar's career. Havlicek, to me, is the most underrated player in the history of the league, and I would be very comfortable putting Wilt, Havlicek, Kobe, Oscar, and West out there coached by Phil Jackson and match him against oh, just about oh. anybody. The defense, defense would be extraordinary. Oh, my Oscar, goodness. <laughs> who is not a bad defensive player, would be by far the weakest of the five defensive and these guys are all, but what you were talking about is on ball. I mean, elite on ball. These are shutdown guys. These are guys. Havlicek yeah. ran all day. And Havlicek would play, even as a six man, 40 minutes plus per night. He would play 40 plus minutes per night. He was in better shape than any athlete in the history of the game. And he had a skill that we rarely see now. He could move without the ball. The. They're a little less, less. They're only Kobe Bryant on both of the number two, although yep. we're having some overlap. Have Kobe. Both had Phil Jackson coaching the second yep. team. Well, here's both my third. This one right. will be intriguing because it starts, like I said, it starts to kind of fall apart a little bit here. Now, I'll start at the center position because I, of course, I have to have Bill Russell on there. Much as I hated to not have Kareem Abdul Jabbar, I have to put Bill Russell on there. Someone in between Hakeem or Kareem is where I was going to go, but Russell and, and Wilt were going on there. He's on my team three. The forwards, interestingly enough, one in uh, what you called yesterday the greatest time period of the NBA, the 80s. Yep. One Carl Malone, and I get it. I understand that if you look at Malone's numbers, you might be like, well, he was kind of. Also didn't win. A little boy, and, 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 and didn't win. Several chances. Didn't win. Didn't but win. I, I think. The, didn't win a championship. Didn't win the championship. But the consistent scoring, the physicality, the, the different ways. You know, when, when when you get the nickname the mailman because he delivers every night, that's a good sign. So I put Carmelone in there. I put him with a current player, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I think when you're talking about again the overall skill set, I get it. He has he does have a title. He's got two MVPs. To my mind, that's enough to put him there, and I think the ability calls for it. Oscar Robertson is on my third team. I can't I don't think you could have done this with Oscar Robertson. And then in maybe the toughest decision. That I had had, I had thought about Jerry West. I had thought about the sartorial splendor of Walt Frazier. But I settled I instead. I must confess, Clyde occurred to me, too. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, that was my team. That was the team of my youth. Uh, the only reason I didn't put Clyde on there was because I thought uh, on both Nick championship teams, and one was young and Frisky and the other was an older team that won from the neck up. Dr. Perry would right. love the second of the two Nick championship teams. Uh, but they were a starless team. That was their reputation, although they did have Hall of Famers. Uh, so it, it was not really a correct characterization. But uh, in that spirit, I didn't 
want to put any of those Knicks mm-hmm. into my top 15. My final guard, another current player, and that would be Steph Curry, the greatest shooter in the history of the NBA. Well, I, I, I agree I think with you, you there. You talk about the, you the, the championships, they're there. And I I thought about kind of assembling that team. With You have the, the all-around talent of Robertson. You have the elite shooting of Curry. You have those forwards in Giannis and Malone and the center in Russell. Uh, I'm, I know I'm going to get some flack for this, but I did not pick Auerbach to coach this team. I picked Greg Popovich to coach this team because I yeah, think that was the does, kind of team yeah. that would probably need here and there the kick in the pants, and in certain cases with some of those players, the occasional load management day, which yeah, Greg Popovich pioneered. Well, uh, that's a, an excellent choice. I had a different coach. I, you had and Riley really admit, and Popovich. Auerbach was maybe too far before my time that I yeah. just don't have the frame of reference um, but besides the stats. And, uh, which, of course, and, are lo- back, extraordinary. It, you can't go wrong. Nine championships. Back, uh, part of Auerbach's reputation is based on the fact that he was also the GM, the team builder, as right. well as... But as a pre-free agency era. But, of but, the, uh, sure, but Auerbach drafted mm-hmm. extremely well while he was coaching. Uh, he had his hits and misses after he left coaching. Um his hits were pretty big hits, though. Larry Bird being the leading example, and he was uh, uh, a junior eligible uh, draft pick. Very clever move by Arback. Um, Arback was a terrific executive throughout his career. I'm just saying he had more misses uh, a little bit later on. But uh, Popovich could have been one of the three coaches very easily. I'm going to take somebody who I find very similar to Popovich okay. uh, in Red Holtzman, the uh, great Knickerbocker coach of uh, the late 60s and uh, early to mid 70s uh, just because I think with the team I selected Holtzman would work well and I have Kareem in the middle on my t- on my third team and I think Holtzman and Kareem would have meshed well um, Pat Riley could push Kareem but only so far Right. And I thought Pat Riley, even Pat Riley treated Kareem a little differently than he treated others, including Magic even, that, that he could push just about everybody else. He, he pulled his punches with Kareem a little bit, and uh, smartly so. Mm-hmm. That would have come more naturally to Red Holtzman, who is, I, I remember on the 30 for 30 on the Knicks that there was a statement made that, by Walt Frazier, in fact, that there were times he wanted to go spree well on Red Holtzman. Right. But after Red Holtzman won the first championship, he became a paternalistic figure, and I think he would have mixed well with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, quickly, my forwards, Julius, definitely. Okay. Especially ABA Julius. Can't argue that. Okay. My second forward, I, I got to put Duncan there. Okay. But... I think if we're talking about Elgin Baylor before his knee or knees went bad, he if you're talking just about that Elgin Baylor, basically the first half of Baylor's career, then you'd have to be talking about a first-teamer, I think. But we're talking about the, the entirety of his career, and if it's post-knee injury Elgin Baylor, good and occasionally great, but not the same guy after he banged up his knee. It was a Lafonso Ellis kind of right. situation on a much higher scale. Okay. 
Uh, so I'd have, without reservation, Duncan, Julius, Kareem, and my backcourt would be Steph Curry at one spot. All right. And this side of Michael Jordan, the greatest clutch shooter I ever saw. And I did not root for him uh, necessarily throughout his career, but I respected him greatly, got to know him a little bit. Um, he came on a talk show with me years and years and years ago. He's since passed away. I liked him more than I ever imagined I would, and I had great respect for him as a player, and it was my favorite interview of all time because we talked about everything, and he remembered everything. Hmm. Sam Jones, the great clutch okay. shooter of the Boston Celtics, and in a game seven, I might put Sam Jones on my bench as sixth man on my first team. <laughs> I couldn't put him ahead of Magic or Jordan, but I'd want him coming off because other than Jordan, I saw Sam Jones make more clutch baskets and was singularly responsible, I believe, for the final championship of that Celtic dynasty in 1969. His shot uh, at the end of a game beat the Knicks out of a playoff series in the Eastern Conference Finals. And when the Celtics were basically dead, down two games to one, late in game four of the NBA Finals that year, that was the Wilt Baylor West Lakers against the Celtics, the aging Celtics. Sam Jones made a shot at the old Boston Garden that bounced around the rim every way uh, you could imagine and went in, and that one shot tied the series at two games apiece, and it was a home court series until the seventh game when the Celtics won the seventh game, but there wouldn't have been a seventh game without Sam Jones making that shot. Sam Jones won the Celtics one more championship in their glorious history, at least one more than they otherwise would have won without him. Our fun little tour through history there. The Nuggets will get back on their post-All-Star break schedule. That will happen tomorrow when the Wizards come in to town. But I want to know your thoughts as well. I'm sure you have more than a few. 303-831-1340 is the number. We will uh, well, we'll flash back a little bit because the Avs and the Red Wings play tomorrow. But uh, not the same uh, Avs and Red Wings as they were back in the day. The Avs come off a big win. The Red Wings, though, a little better than people might think. NHL.com's Ryan Bolding will join us team right now. to talk about it They'd next on Mile High Sports. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.